So good morning, good afternoon. I'm Bill Connor, and you reach the Digital Shop Talk Radio, where we gather with our great panelists on Wednesdays at 12 o'clock Central to um, to share with our um, listeners. Today, I'm here with uh, Frank Scandura, owner of Frank's European Service. Welcome back, Frank. Frank's been with us uh, many times. It has uh, shared a lot of wisdom with us. And we also have Autobotus founder, Uwe Kleinsmith, here as usual. Um, so join us today to talk about the discussion about customers dropping off their vehicles for maintenance or repair. They're typically expecting you to take care of all the aspects of their vehicle service. Does it sound familiar? It really should because it happens often, even, even more often than it used to, as customers are having trust built with them using the digital shop. So what is the best practice when it comes to managing these expectations? What are the options, their advantages, and some potential pitfalls to um, handling um, this particular aspect of the business. As always, uh, teamwork is required in the shop to provide great results. And you're gonna take away some tips today about subletting or referring to um, customers to other shops to take care of some of these needs. As always, our guest panelists who operate shops just like yours are here to share some tips with you. So Uwe, if you wouldn't mind, how about getting, getting us started here and um, down into this uh, very deep topic. Of course. Thank you, Frank, um, for coming on. And, and the topic came up and Frank and I had a, a conversation and, and things we often take for granted are not followed by all shops. So we thought it's a great topic because it seems like so logical. I don't do smog tests. So why don't I refer you to a shop doing smog tests as an example? Or transmission replacement, or I mean, you name it. And that seems logical. And why do we even have a topic? And, and the real truth is it's all about the customer. And if you approach it from a customer's perspective, then all of a sudden the world looks a little different. It's not just what services do I provide? It is how do I take care of the customer? And that's what basically the topic is about. So I hope, Frank, I have given you a good lead into that discussion. And, and I hope during the hour we will, we will look at many aspects of managing customers' expectations. You did. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this this morning and something dawned on me. But first, I want to put out, you know, one of those little disclaimers. Make sure you know your state laws. Because when you said send a car, I'm going to take a car out for a smog test, California right. is against the law for me to take my customer's car for an emissions test for whatever reason. So make sure you know your laws. Right. Uh, that said, I was trying to figure out why do I even start doing this for my customers, right? This is not one of those tips that actually puts money to the bottom line. It's not like really, you know, a lot of the things we talk about on the show really affect the bottom line. <clears throat> and this may or may not really affect the bottom line, but what it does affect is the customer. And, um, you know, our goal should be customers for life, right? And we all know, you know, people die, they move, they get mad, whatever. So how do we prevent them from just getting mad and staying in the fold? <clears throat> so why don't I even start doing this? And I think I remember, you know, way back in the early days, telling somebody they needed tires and just picking up on something in the tone of their voice and then saying, would you like me to help you? figure that out and hearing the relief. Yeah, that would be great. Could you do that? And I think that's when it dawned on me. <clears throat> people are, we all know 
one of the most hated things in the world is change and getting your car fixed, right? We can't do anything about change, but we can make getting the car fixed a lot easier. So and I think that made me realize that I could take pressure off of them by helping in everything on the car, whether I do it or not personally. And, you know, some of the things we talked about was, you know, window tinting. It's much easier for me to establish a relationship with a good tinter than to hope my customer finds, you know, if I ask a mother Google, who's a good tinter, and then bringing me the carcass of power windows don't work because they got watered down the door modules and fried all the door modules out and they don't take responsibility. And, you know, that's happened. That's how I know that, you know, or uh, body work, right? <clears throat> with all the chains and all this mass consolidation with body shops, we need to find that body shop that's still independently owned that we have a relationship with that we can send Mary down to to say, look, if you go talk to Daryl, he's going to take good care of you because I send Daryl about $2 million worth of work a year and he doesn't want to lose that, right? And I don't tell the customer that, but Daryl knows it. And <clears throat> when you run a really good shop, you attract really good customers. So now when you start referring your really good customers to other really good shops, and I've had these shops come back to me and say, Frank, man, your customers are awesome. They just said, whatever Frank says is what I'm supposed to do. And that's really the relationship and that's the level of trust that we've developed with them. And that's why I think it's really, really important to, to be able to offer that service for your customers. Yeah, I, it, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I just went through something like this and. I consider myself fairly technical and I do my research, but just go to, you said tires, go to an online page and figure out what the right tires are for you. I mean, this is, the options are way too many. And, and, and understanding the technical lingo, and, and we all think this is a commoditized business, tires, you know, what the heck, right? But having, that person you can trust doing the right thing for your vehicle is priceless in that moment, in my opinion. And, and tires is a perfect example. Because when you walk into a tire store and say, I need tires for that red thing out there, we assume they want to put the tires on the manufacturer recommends for the car. And people don't realize this. And if you can attest to this, a lot of times the car is built around a tire. Right. The handling characteristics, the noise the levels are really specific to tires. A lot of Mercedes had on the door jam sticker for the tires, do not use, and it had specific tire brands on there, not to put on the car. That's how important it is. <clears throat> True story had a customer with a Honda S2000. And Mr. Big Shot doesn't want to listen to Frank. He needs four tires. So he goes out and gets two tires on the car. And he swears there's something wrong with the suspension because the handling characteristics of the car were so bad there had to be something wrong. It can't be the tires. They're new, they're new, they're new. All right, let's go back. If, if I'm wrong, I'll pay for the tires. Go put these four tires on a car, car's fixed. And what happens a lot of times is tire stores get rebates from the tire manufacturer. So when you walk in a guy goes, you know what? I got a set of, you know, ABC whoopties that are black walls that would really work, work well in your car and they're only $900. You go, my gosh, what a great deal Johnny's giving me. Well, he just got, you know, one or $200 kickback on the other end. And you don't have any way of knowing that. So that's a really good example of why it's important to help guide your customers to the right decision on their something so simple like as tires. tires anyway. Sounds like the doctor ma making that uh, prescription written out for something he's getting a uh, kickback on. And, and it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. If his 
mindset is I want to do what's best for my customer. And holy cow, look at this tire. I can make an extra spiff on is what's best for my customer. And I, I honestly don't think the tire guys are trained that way. And I don't think there's anything malicious behind it, <clears throat> but you know, and especially these cars are getting more and more complicated suspensions. More and more cars are coming through with active suspensions, all wheel drive. You can't just throw anything on these cars and, and hope they're going to be okay. Yeah, everything is dialed in, right? Especially on the higher end cars. Yeah. And, but let's talk about, so, so we basically are done with the podcast. Recommendation is sublet, never refer, Let's talk about politics. No. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> so let's let, let's let's peel the onion a little bit, right? Yep. Because it's it's easily said. Okay, I take care of it for you. you. You now, apart from more work, also have to really make sure you never screw up, because they now trust you for something you are only partially responsible for, right? So how do you vet your suppliers? And the, the other point I think is really, so you have a, to go back to point one, you have a big chance to screw up your relationship with the customer, right? If the selection is not done correctly and managed. And the second thing I would bring up is, the logistics aspect of it, right? You know, what do you say? Take a loaner, I hope I get it back by tomorrow. I mean, how how are those details managed? And, and that goes to managing uh, expectations of the yes. customer, right? So, so let's break it down. If you're managing their expectations, you should already know whether or not they have other transportation. You should already know when the deadline is to get the car back. And you should never, ever do anything to jeopardize that. And mm -hmm. it should never be, you know, th th this is cringeworthy words from a technician or a service advisor. I will do my best to get it to you by Friday. That to me, you, you work here because I assume you're going to do your best. That's why you have this job. Right. That's, that's not managing expectations. Managing expectations is Mrs. Jones. There's always a possibility something could go wrong and I may not get the car back by Friday. Why don't we reschedule your next service visit to get that bumper fixed? <clears throat> That's managing expectations. Then she has the opportunity. He has the opportunity to say, well, it's not that big a deal. Go ahead and get it fixed. If it's not done, it's okay. We'll be all right. <clears throat> you know? Right. So uh, yeah, cr cringeworthy uh, words for sure. And then how do you find that? <clears throat> that trusted partner. And that's really what it comes down to, right? Because it now it becomes a two-way exchange because the work I'm sending to the body shop, eventually they're going to have that vehicle there where they don't know why this car they drove into their shop mm -hmm. can't be driven out. Frank, can you help us? Yeah, sure. Of course I can, because you guys have treated me right. And how did that, how did that relationship even start was, you know, perhaps we scratched a bumper I needed fixed. So that's usually where it starts. So, and, and shame on you shop owners, if you're looking for the best deal, I need the cheapest price because I'm paying for it. Shame on you guys, because you get what you deserve when it doesn't work out well. Um, I never negotiate the price. And <clears throat> I've had the guys take really good care of me, do really good work, and that's most important, right? So right. 
that, that's a good way to start those relationships. And they started with a, like the body shop that we use started with a referral to us, you know, Hey, I know this guy that works there. He's a really straight shooter. Give him a try. Boom. We go down there and make the introductions, talk to each other. Okay. I'll get, I'll throw you, you know, a little bit. And then what happens when the customer moves from that scratched bumper to hey, I got in a car accident, right? You guys know this. your customers call you first. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to bring a car. What, what do I do? Somebody just hit my car in the parking lot or, Hey, you know, my kid got in a wreck. Somebody ran a red light. What do I do? And then you have these opportunities to help relieve that pressure and help them ne negotiate and navigate everything else that's going on with their vehicles. That's what we should be doing as service providers. <clears throat> Those are the wrecked cars to show up on your lot on Monday morning waiting for you that you didn't know about. And that's when you know the customer really trusts you. It's not going to the body shop. It's coming to Frank's or whoever's first to get an opinion. And it's really kind of interesting also is that when you help them get it to the right place, even if their insurance company is dealing with it, you can also help them understand, does the complete job get done? Are all the ADOS calibrations done when it gets done? You know, if they change a windshield, do they recalibrate the forward facing camera or they just stick a piece of glass in it and hope for the best? So there's a lot of things that, you know, as a professional shop that's trusted by your customers that you can do to go in and make sure that they're getting the right fix for whatever's going on in their life. And that's a really good point because I've done post collision repair inspections for customers too. Because I remember what the car's supposed to look like with all the right bolts and pins and the underliners and the, and the wheel well moldings and the bumpers and, you know, the wire looms, are they all connected correctly? Um, you know, did they tie strap the supercharger uh, intercooler up to the radiator because they didn't want to wait for the right parts or because, you know, the, they're flat rating a job because the insurance company is trying to rip them off by only paying 45 bucks an hour for labor. So, yeah. And, and that's where that truly all comes together as a full package. <clears throat> so, so I would love to talk about body a little bit because when I started looking into collision industry, whether, you know, our workflow management might help there. I, I was blown away by how big the insurance impact is on delivery of the service. And, and, and sometimes it's a long ongoing negotiation between the insurance and the shop if it's not a direct repair shop, right? And how do you manage that? I mean, is it, would a collision shop in most of the cases tell you it's going to be done by X and then you just take that for granted and, and relay the message. I think promise times through a body shop are extremely difficult because that is, that is a true example of the unknown, right? Yes. See the bumpers pushed in a little bit. I see a little wrinkle in the fender. I assume one, two, three. And then because most insurance companies don't authorize tear down. They authorize a repair based on what you see. Yes. And anybody who's had a minor bumper impact knows it's never what it seems to be. Never. Right. It's always something more. There's you know, all the impact strips underneath. Sometimes the frame rail get a little wrinkle in it. Does it total the car? You just got to pull it out. But it's always almost always additional work. And, and I don't think until the car is actually heading for the detail shop should it be considered ready to be promised. And the delays in the insurance companies today, they're just mind boggling. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a guy online um, who specializes in diminished value claims. 
he's uh, out at like North or South Carolina. The guy's really good at what he does. And a lot of people don't realize this. Accident records on your vehicle make it less valuable. So he helps people recover diminished value claims. And anybody wants information on that, reach out to me offline and I'll, and I'll help you find it. So, um, and, and he's got a saying that really makes sense. Never trust a person that owes you money yes. to be fair with you, right? And that's what happens with the insurance companies and how they're able to have such an, an, an investment in the body shops is really, really sad. Um, think about if you've ever had this opportunity to talk to somebody who has, if they call their insurance and says, I was in an accident. And the first thing they say is take it to our preferred shop. Right. And you go, oh, okay, good. Assuming it's just like Frank saying, take it to my preferred guy, right? Because my preferred guy is trusted. My preferred guy, I will help you if there's a problem. My preferred guy is a straight shooter. On the insurance company side, the preferred guy has already negotiated a lower price. So the insurance company is intending to save money. And I've seen multiple times where body shops submitted a claim for you know, $7,000 and the insurance company says, no, 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 no. You should be able to fix that car for 4,200. Mm -hmm. A good operator knows how to overcome that, submit <clears throat> to the next tier, do whatever they have to do to get the car properly fixed. But what happens to the shop that doesn't know how to overcome that? Is he fixing your car for $4,200? It should have been a $7,000 repair. And what is, what is the end result of your vehicle? We actually had a car come in <laughs> Um, one of our customers' daughters started going to school, UNLV in Nevada, got a minor accident, front fender in the right, front door in the right. And, um, <clears throat> you know, a couple months after the repair, we, had, we didn't know about the accident. It wasn't one of those calls that came to us. Car comes in and we say, man, this thing's, what a mess. What happened to this car? She goes, oh, it was in an accident. And this, you know, an XYZ starts telling us the story. Well, it turned out that this particular body shop ordered the new parts because we called the insurance company and said, this thing's not safe to drive. It's, this thing's hammered. They ordered the new parts and never put them on the car. So they submitted a receipt to the insurance company for all the new parts for the full repair, sent the parts back because the insurance company did a subpoena, got the records from the dealership, and they repaired the fenders to frame rail and the door. And, it was the, and this is the one time I was impressed with the insurance company. The investigator called the shop, the body shop owner out to the shop. And he says, look at this car. And the guy looks at it and he could tell he was in trouble. And he goes, we can do this one of two ways. You can write me a check right now for the money we gave you or we can settle this in court. Mm -hmm. I goes, how much? <clears throat> right? That doesn't, and that's the problem is now that doesn't stop him from doing it again. So it's, it's truly, and that's what happens when those prices are controlled. It, it opens those doors for that sketchy uh, kind of works. Right. So to be really clear on this, what you're doing in this case is this isn't a sublet. This is a referral, but you're also going ahead and working with the customer to make sure that, you know, they get done what needs to be done. Is that correct? So this particular one, we did not know the car was in an accident. We did not send it to the body shop. Our involvement came after the car came in for repairs. Our concern for the safety of our customer. It was like time out. This car shouldn't have the brakes done. shouldn't have this other work done. There's something terribly wrong. Uh, it, you know, we couldn't align the car because it was so bent up. And this so was- This is an after the fact assisting the customer. I'm talking about generally, you would refer to the customer to the body shop of your choice to try and get them before they've been mismanaged by somebody else. And mm -hmm. then part of your being Frank's is to go ahead and make sure that you're helping them understand is the car is actually truly fixed properly hopefully in a timely manner and things like that. So that's a, this is a referral, not a sublet. 
In that case, that's correct, right? Because we're talking about two different things at the same time, subletting a vehicle and referring a vehicle, yeah. <clears throat> um, we would have made that referral and they never would have had that problem. The car probably would have been towed. <clears throat> but let's go back to the, the ideal world, right? Um, you take care of whatever collision related thing. And I don't know, do you have a limit on how big it is? Because he, here's what's going through my mind. And that's again, informed by talking to uh, collision shop owners who sometimes leverage the motorist to convince the insurance <laughs> to increase, for example, use OEM parts instead of aftermarket parts, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so, so they recommend to the motorist, take hey, all the insurance, you know, threaten to cancel if there are no OEM parts in that repair, right? Trick. So, so would you take care of all of that? Probably not. Probably not. However, if my customer called me to ask my opinion on it, I yes. would help them. I would say, yeah, absolutely. Here, and here's here's what's here's why. Here, the why. Thank you, Bill. Right. Right. And I and I just had this chat again yesterday. You, you have to know the why behind the what. I was helping a shop owner. You know, uh, called me yesterday. Hey, this is going on. This is going on. I says, well, does your team know why you want to do all those things? Right. Well, they should. Okay. There you, go. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> yeah. That's I assume true. is that normally the answer. I assume. <laughs> So yeah, Bill, absolutely. They, and this is the why, and it really helps them understand. Um, some parts, aftermarket parts, are not approved for auto body repair. Mm -hmm. and, and if you guys are paying attention, there's an article not long ago about a Honda Fit, I believe it was the model of the car, was in an accident and repaired. The repair was a new roof was installed. Uh, yeah. You remember that? The Honda repair process was not followed. The car mm -hmm. subsequently sold, was in another accident, and the family died in that accident due to that prior repair. So when the insurance company <clears throat> is trying to tell a body shop, you can fix that car for $4,200 instead of seven, it's like, no way, man. If I'm following the manufacturer's recommendations on how to repair this car, and it's no different if you put brakes on it and quit throwing away those new caliper bolts with the pretty blue uh, Loctite on it, guys, right? Because that's there for a reason. And, and quit saying, ugga, ugga, ugga. Yep, that's tight enough. Get the stinking torque wrench out. There's a reason for these specifications. And the, that's why these cars have to be repaired uh, properly. This actually brings up a really high valued point is, is that a lot of the case law around ADOS and these self-driving cars hasn't been settled yet. So when you're looking for a partner to work with to do these calibrations for you, do you go and inspect your facility and make sure they're using OEM procedures or do you trust that they're doing it when you sublet to them because now you're in the middle, middle liability-wise? Having those relationships allows you to know what they're doing in the back, right? So you can, and you can't have blind faith. Um, and, and, and think about this, okay? All us mechanical guys, the insurance companies are now requiring a pre-scan and a post scan, or they may not pay the entire claim, right? So there's a lot of data there they're looking for. And we need to be in the habit of scanning every single car before it hits the shop. Mm -hmm. Every single module, every single car, every single time, just as important as 
every single car gets inspected every single time. Now it needs to become part of the inspection process, Bill, just for that reason, just for that CYA, man, I got to cover my book. Probably pre and post also. Yeah, uh, pre and post. <clears throat> yeah. So, so somebody knocking a mirror off your car and, and you just going ahead and paint one and putting it back on and not calibrating it, those days are over. Those days are over, right? Um, my backup camera went out, my Explorer had to be calibrated to get replaced. And even, even a lot of like the Altel scanners, a lot of the scanners, I'll have a little ADOS note there. This is an ADOS component because a lot of times we don't even realize it. How about I have to take a radar sensor off of radiator support to put a radiator in it? And I put it back on. You darn well better have gotten a pre-scan, a post-scan, and a calibration on that part before you did it. Because if that customer goes around a corner and hits a tree because his radar is a little off, <clears throat> it's not going to settle. It's probably not, it's probably not going to be listed in the labor guide under condenser R&R either. Is it, 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 it probably isn't going to be, right? And, and it's not going to set a code. Right. Right. A lot of people don't realize this. You know, you think ADOS is no big deal. It won't set a code. It just won't work right. Okay. So if I'm driving down the road with my lane assist on, and you know, and I love renting different cars for this, and you get it over there, you know, and the next thing you know, you're a little over, a little over, a little over. It's because it thinks it's in the right lane, and now I just turn away and glance for just a second because I've become so accustomed to how the system works. So let me go back to managing expectations because. It's not, you actually tell your customer there is a sublet involved. Mm -hmm. And here is why, and here's what could happen, they might give you a call, right? So, so you manage expectations even through a sublet and don't hide it in case of the collision, or maybe in any case. In any case, right? We do. Uh, we check cars for recalls when they come in. We always offer to bring the car to the dealer for a recall. Mm -hmm. Dealers in town are so busy, they don't care who brings the car in because they're under legal obligation to fix the recalls. A couple of them, you know, they think that um, they rule the world and they won't work with the aftermarket. That's fine. We buy our parts otherwise, other, other places and they have nothing but pissed off customers because they don't know how to provide exceptional customer service. Right. Um, so, and, and never hiding from the customer what we're doing with their car, where and how, right? Uh, we've had shops sublet their cars to us for maybe programming or something else. And literally I had a customer walk in one day, want to know why his car was in my shop. <laughs> well, I didn't know it was your car, Jimmy Joe down there. He, you know, he asked me to do this for him. He goes, well, I, if I wanted my car in your shop, I would have brought it. <clears throat> and he was right. So right. make sure your customers know everything you're doing. Transparency and, is trust. Yeah, yeah. So for a shop owner that might be listening and say, well, you know, Frank, I understand it's really good for the customers, but I've got to go ahead and drive the car to the dealer, make arrangements. You know, I've got to have my guy Uber back or send to, you know, there's a cost involved with that. Do you go ahead and, and build a customer or do you just go ahead and look at it that, you know, this is part of my marketing strategy and that's just how it is. I, and I don't look at it as part of marketing. I don't build a customer for it, but I do include it in my cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. So if I take, and this is what I teach guys that I coach, what is it costing you? What are your expenses? Let's divide that by your gross profit. 
And then I can tell you what you need to do in sales and how many cars based on your average RO you need to get in to cover that. And then I can show you where you can bump the needle a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit right. here, where it makes an enormous difference to the bottom line. Right. Right. But every customer pays for it, period. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you have to think in terms of the level of service you're committing to give your customers. Right. So let's say one through five. We all know those one guys that are ripping and tearing and, you know, that they're just next car, next car, next car. Oh, I hate putting fuel pumps in this car. I'm just going to charge for it. And, oh, I hate actually that oil filter is hard to reach. I'm just going to charge for it. We got those really bad shops out there. We got the level of five shops, top tier shops, the minority that don't work on as many cars, but make more money than anybody else mm -hmm. because they're committed to giving that level of service. You just have to decide where you want to be. So your mindset to measure that is basically you'd have a sublet line in your repair order if it was a sublet. But if you transported it to a dealer, you might go ahead and have a labor line on there for the technician to drive it there and bring it back. So that way you account for that time in your costing and you can actually pull it up and measure it. Now, Bill, that would be highly inefficient to have a technician be driving cars to, to <laughs> or whatever. I get it. Um, Somebody with a valid driver's license that works for you. And, and, and that's exactly right. So I have my support staff, you know, I call them my service valets. They keep the shop clean. They wash the cars. Um, they run errands. They run for parts. They drop off and pick up cars, whether I'm picking up from the customer or a sublet like this. And that's all encompassing in their, in their uh, um, job description. So, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the labor line on the ticket because that's so critical. Um, in the early days of auto vitals, we actually, you know, we're walking, I've, everybody who knows my shop, I've got 93 parking spaces. It's not uncommon for us to have 70, 80, 90 cars in the parking lot at any time. And we spent about two hours looking for a car before we realized it was that sublet for windshield. And that's when we created the sublet workflow step. Right. Line on the RO, right to the sublet. My parts guy keeps an eye on the cars that are at sublet. And as soon as they're done, he gets the call unless the service department notes, ready. <clears throat> But, and, and that's what I love about auto vitals, you know, shameless plug, I know, but to be able to customize that workflow for that specific reason. That you know where everything is at one glance. That's just. So you're basically, you're measuring it and you're managing the same way you would a credit card fee is shared across all customers as part of your pricing model. You know what? And, and thank you for that too, because, you know, you guys want to start passing a 3% fee onto your customers. It's, come on, man. You're tripping over dollars to pick up nickels. Cut it out. <clears throat> price your services accordingly to the level of the service you intend to give. Give the service you're pricing for, and everybody will be happier. Mm -hmm. No, I, I mean, I can speak only about me, but I know it's shared by a lot of customers. If it's transparent and it's very clear what's going on, this is, has a huge value. It's priceless. I cannot put a dollar amount to it. It's just a certain expectation I now have after the internet, you know, enabled me to look up basically anything wrong or right, right? And, and, and so the moment I get transparency, I, I know there is nothing hidden. And, and I find that incredibly valuable. It builds trust, right? Yes. How many times have you guys heard me say our customers don't buy parts and pieces? They don't buy brake pads and rotors. They don't buy ball joints and tie rods. They buy trust. 
blah, 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 $900, blah, 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 blah. Frank, when can you have the car done? That's trust. Right. Um, it, and so you've got to establish that trust and you can only do it with transparency. And that includes admitting when you're wrong. Right? Right. None of us are perfect. We make mistakes. We misdiagnose cars. That's what happens, right? We had a car that we thought needed an engine control module and the customer proved it. We put it on. It was not the problem. We called them up, said, sorry, um, this is our problem. We're going to take the old module off, but we're going to put the old module back on and start all over again. How, how does that not build trust? Right. Right. Could we have said, okay, we did the module. Now we have another problem. Sure. That would have been wrong. What a lot of shops forget though, is that we've done these services hundreds or perhaps thousands of times. We know how things go. And if we don't share that with the customer, they've got no idea how this goes. But if we share with them exactly how the process works, what to expect, what to expect along the way and what the outcome is, now that's along the ways of managing their expectations where we don't have to deal with the unreasonable expectations. Yeah. And, and, and so, right. And, and let me go back to what you said about taking that pressure off the customer. If a customer brings me a car and I look up in the database, safercar.gov, plug in the VIN number, see if there's a recall on that car, not on a 2015 car like that. Mm -hmm. And I call the customer and I say, you have an airbag recall. Would you like me to bring it over to the dealership for you to get that done? They're, who's going to say no to that? If they wanted to go to the dealership, they wouldn't be in my shop. Right. Right. So anything I can do to help remove their pressure, increase their satisfaction, make sure they feel like I've given them the safest, most reliable transportation humanly possible. And to, to me, the more important thing is you went the extra mile. There was not part of the you know, of my request when I dropped off the, my car, right? And all of a sudden, you know, my horizon just expanded because, oh yeah, my shop took care of that too, or wants to, and yeah. leaves it up to me to make that decision, right? Yep. And, and it's so part of the mission statement, Bill, sorry, that <clears throat> automotive repair should not be difficult or intimidating. It is our job to tell you what we're doing on your car and why right. you can make an informed decision, even if that means not doing any service work on your view. Right. What are some of the things that we should be looking for to go and build relationship with a, a vendor partner for, for a customer? And, you know, as far as referrals or an actual sublet, what are some of the things that we should be looking for? You know, we talked about body work, but how about car detailing? How about uh, glass repair? How, you know, the list goes on. And, you know, and a lot of times it's, um, if I don't get a referral from somebody, I've got to try a company just like anybody else. And um, I've had, we've had a number of detailers come through that we've tried in the shop. Let's use that as an example. And we finally found a, a company that does what they say they're going to do. Um, they do a really great job. Um, I had my truck detailed by them last week and Impressing me is one thing. My wife got in the truck and says, oh my gosh, what a great job these guys did. And now I know, good. Now I know this is a company I can safely refer to my customers. So um, a lot of times it's trial and error, right? To answer your question. Mm -hmm. and, and because I'm trying to take care of all my customers' problems, if they're not happy with the detail, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to get the car redone. Because I told them they can trust me in this area of their vehicle. 
So, and, you know, same thing with glass shops, you know, the guys that, you know, we've tried and we, we call up, we had this one company, man, we love dealing with them. Dan was really super reliable. He decided to retire from that, start driving a school bus for benefits. And the company went like, done. They, you know, their customer service tanked because he was the face of the company. He, I don't think they really realized how well a job he did for them. So we got to start looking for another glass company. And it was, again, trial and error. The guys that show up on time, they don't scratch the car. You know, they do what they say they're going to do. And, it's... And, and you use basically your company or your personal cars to do the test. Whenever possible, I will. Sometimes you have no choice but to, you know. Right. Use a custom car. Custom car. But if I'm willing to make a wrong right, I'm, I'm not losing anything. Right. If I say to the customer, well, it's not my problem because that guy did it, but I called that guy. So it is my problem. Yes. Again, level five service, level five pricing. I can afford to make it right. Mm -hmm. You know, level two service, level two pricing. You can't afford to make it right. Level three service, level three. You can't afford to make it right. You got to go time out, man. I don't have nothing to do with your windshield. Those guys are all jacked up. Right. Well, maybe they are. So, until you find the right guy. <clears throat> so everything you're doing is based on the lifetime value of a customer. You're building customers for life. You're understanding the lifetime value of the customer. And you're not giving them those extra opportunities they have to wander from your flock. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I put the door module in your car, Betty. Now, can you take it over there and they'll program it for you? Really? You know, and, and it's, uh, you can't do that. You really can't do that. <clears throat> um, and so let's talk about referring a customer to another shop, right? Body shop, completely different. But let's say, you know, um, here's what happens with us a lot. Check engine light will be on in the car and we, you know, Mother Google, who should I bring it to today? And Mother Google will make a recommendation based on that ad that guy paid for to, you know, to click on here. <clears throat> and they'll go down there and it'll be some dumpy shop downtown. And they'll put a new air filter in it, change it on, put spark plugs in it, disconnect the battery, put the battery connector back on, say your lights off, have a nice day. <clears throat> Next day, for a week, for a week or right. less. Or less. <clears throat> Customer comes back, lights back on. <clears throat> oh, well, we don't really have the tools for that. But I heard, I heard those guys over at Frank's are pretty good. Go take it there. And we get a lot of referrals like that. And then they come in and they say, but I already had it all tuned up and I had this and I had that. I was like, okay. So now we educate them in testing the proper tools and all that that goes with it. And then I end up with a customer for life because I can prove I've demonstrated our ability to care about what you need by doing the testing you need to accurately diagnose your car, fixing it right, standing behind it for three or more years. So I've got a car in my shop and I just replaced some things that requires an ADOS calibration. Can I afford to go ahead and tell the customer you need to take this and get it calibrated and hope they do it? Or does that go ahead and incur me a lot of liability in case they don't? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. Hope is not a good business plan. <clears throat> okay. Um, it, it's an, forget the liability aspect of it. What if they don't get around to it? And the car seems to be okay. And says, geez, why would Bill tell me I need to go over there? A car is fine. And then something happens later on down the road. It may not, and, and even if it doesn't come back to you as a shop owner, there's a moral component to that. It'll come back to you eventually. You know, yeah. you know you're at the pearly gates and you go, you remember that car you fixed in uh, 2021? <laughs> we'll talk about that. <clears throat> I don't want to have those conversations. Yeah. I, I, so how are we doing on time? Oh, man, time flies. I want to bring up one topic which seems to be a trend 
just increasing and it's completely counter to what we just discussed in terms of you have to be the all encompassing service provider and that is mobile technicians right so um it it, it seems to take off and and customers seem to Google something and it breaks or whatever, and then they get a mobile technician who claims to fix it, or if not fix it, it becomes a lead generation for whatever shop network that mobile technician uh, is affiliated with, right? How do you, how do we, so number one, has it, was there any occurrence of something like this you are aware of where your shop was um, uh, basically lost the customer or, or or any other uh you know so many shop owners where that is a trend which is hitting now slowly and if so how do we um manage that um Again, so three three aspects of this. Yes. When a customer calls up and says, can you come to my house? You have to be fully prepared to say why that's not in their best interest. And I'll, I'll set that aside for right now. So then we have two kinds of mobile mechanics. We got the guy who's on Craigslist. It's advertised to $50 an hour labor. You show up at his house. He demands cash to go get the parts. He may or may not come back. Right. right. Stories, get on next door, get on Facebook groups, and you'll see those stories all over the place. Yes. Or worse, they've taken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars and the car's worse off than it was before. Right. We had a mini Cooper in that uh, somebody tried to do control arm bushings in and stripped out the uh, threads for the subframe into the body. And that cost her several thousand dollars to fix because of the money she saved by having, of course, I can work on your car. I'm a mobile mechanic. Right. <clears throat> so those guys, you got to be wary of. They're not licensed. They're not insured. There's actually companies now advertising, legit companies saying, hey, we're going to, we're, we're your mobile mechanic source. We're going to come out to your car house. We're going to do a little change. We're going to do the brakes. Um, <clears throat> honestly, I, I really gave this a lot of thought and I don't see that being a long term solution. They're extremely limited to what they can do. Yes. If you're living in a climate like Las Vegas, do you actually want to be in somebody's driveway in 115 degree heat in July, putting brakes on a car? There's something wrong. You can't possibly be in a mindset where this is going to be a high quality, thorough job. And customers, if they're thinking this, you know, there's a complete disconnect. <clears throat> um, they're, and they're limited to what they can do. So when they do start working on a car, they go, okay, here's a list of preferred shops that we send work to that we can't do in your driveway. Go pick one of those. Mm -hmm. Well, how does that solve your problem? You know what I'm saying? So I think what we need to do as shop owners is accommodate our ever-growing request for, can I get it now? 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 And I think that'll help diffuse that. Um, we're talking about in our shop, you know, we're, we're so busy that, you know, somebody says, hey, can I get an oil change today? You know, we just sink into our chairs because it's, we can't. Right. And and we know our customers don't plan out in advance, even though we send them the reminder 72 times in six months. Right. We know they're not making plans in advance, even though we're setting these appointments in the future. It's like, oh, I'm going out of town Friday. Can I bring the car in today? Make sure everything's okay. 
There's a third so, type of mobile technician that we haven't covered also, and that is the ones that only sublet to a shop, come and do a process at your shop, in your shop, and they only work for shops. So there's a bunch of them out there, programming and calibrations and things like that also. I don't, yeah. I don't call that a mobile panic. Yeah. That's, okay. that's so there are diagnostic technicians and, and mobile programmers and mobile um, ADOS calibrators yep okay right. those guys are legit and um that they have their value we have a, a remote programmer that we use a lot of times for the cars you know i might have a ford in there and it needs a module well i'm not going to go buy the ford scanner but so i don't think that's a long term win on that i think people initially think oh this is great they're going to service my car while i'm at work i don't even have to worry about it well, I broke a bolt. You're going to have to have it towed to a shop. So, so, I mean, do you think a white glove service like pickup and delivery would lower the chance, or would you just ignore it because it's a, it's just a wave. It's going to go away for all the reasons we, we just talked about. Um. I think for certain people that white glove would be an awesome experience. I have, I have had a vision for a long time, what a concierge service would look like. And um, it, it's difficult to, you know, put the logistics in when you got a hundred cars in a parking lot every single day. But I think, you know, so the Prieto principle, 80, 20, 80% right. of your revenue comes from your top 20% of your customers. Those are the people you need to identify. Those are the people you need to stumble over backwards trying to help. Right. And we end up at the bottom 20% because they're super vocal. And I'm going to tell all my friends and I'm going to leave you a bad review on every site. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, and then we forget these, you know, heavy hitters up here. And when they're not feeling special, mm -hmm. they don't leave reviews. They don't make a big deal. They don't write letters to the owner. Right. They, don't call, they don't call a TV station. They just go away. Right. So there is a lot to be said for identifying <clears throat> your top 20%, 25% of your customers, and you'll make more money catering to them than you'll ever save by sending out a 1999 uh, coupon. Oh, no doubt. And because the beauty of those customers is they normally know more people just like them and they'll refer them to you all day long. Yeah. Yeah. I have to go back to the mobile technician because um, Rivian, right, one an upcoming electric vehicle provider, has made that their model because they think they can save on building an infrastructure of service centers, right? And and they actually tell you, and then when being asked that that the mobile technician comes out. And then they say, and if they cannot do it, we take your car to our service center, right? So I'm bringing this up because I think there, is, there seems to be momentum out of desperation or other reasons or people who think they can make money, right? There's lots of investment money is now flowing into um, mobile network of mobile technicians and and that's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> and it's, it is something we need to be aware of and, and be able to act on. Personally, 
I would prefer a vehicle dropped off at my home, my vehicle picked up, serviced, washed, detailed, and brought back to me. Yep. And I never talk to anybody or touch anything. Everything's electronic. Right. Send me a text or an email. Boom. Yes, do it, do it, don't do it. Right. Boom, boom, boom. Done. Right? Right. I've got things to do, places to be, people to see. And if you're going to take care of that all in the background, do I care how much you're charging me for it? Probably not. The same. It has a higher level of convenience because now nobody's bothering me to tell me it's got to go somewhere else. Right. Already taken care of. Right. That I think will have more traction in the future. <clears throat> yeah, I, I totally agree with you. <clears throat> pick up, pick up, and delivery is the future for those kinds of. Um, it, and who knows? In ten years or fifteen years, the car is going to bring itself to the shop. That's true. <laughs> right. And you're going to scan it and it's going to tell you, uh, can you do my rear O2 sensor or this or that or whatever's on it? You know, oh, the flux capacitor batteries are dead. Please replace them. <clears throat> so there's a question came in for Frank. Uh, Frank, how do you identify your top 20 or 25% only by money spent or by visits or both? Yes, absolutely both. Right. Because, um, you know, asking your service advisors, who, who's it? They're key droppers, right? They're the ones who are talking about their kids, their dogs, their grandkids, their vacations. They're the ones who are connecting with you personally. So it, they're really easy to identify. <clears throat> um, then you kind of create your avatar, right? Who is that ideal customer? And, and I, I coached a guy who couldn't understand why his postcards were ineffective because he was sending postcards to an affluent neighborhood. And he says, those people got money. They're going to fix their car with me. So it said, okay, but <clears throat> where do your customers come from? So we ran a zip code list and he's sending postcards over here and his customers are coming from over there. He's going, hmm, you know, it's top customers, top spend, top visits. So we start sending postcards over there and guess what? Car count starts climbing. So birds of a feather flock together. So um, they never ask for discounts. They don't sit around waiting for coupons to show up in the mail. Can you have my car done? Can you take care of my problem? So I would answer it a little bit differently is I would go to your business control panel Go to the retention category and select a year or longer and export the frequency report and then analyze it and um, find out all kinds of information about your customers. Well played, Bill. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, you've got the reporting and it's just a matter of taking the time. Um, that's one of the things I love about Shopware. I can run a report in eight seconds. I could tell you the window of my most profitable model years of cars that fast. And those are the ones I send postcards to. <clears throat> you send postcards, Frank? Yes. If, if not, you're missing out. Very cool. It needs to be a part of your complete marketing package. Yeah. No, I, I, I was joking, of course. I yes. And I bet they're not your average postcard size either. I bet they stick out in the mail like a sore thumb. They're, yeah, they're pretty big. You know, it, it's kind of a getting to know us kind of postcard with its own tracking number so I can measure the phone calls. You can't manage what you don't measure. Cool. <clears throat> and time flies. So, Bill, this is now the time for you to ask for the top three. Oh, well, you just already did it. So let's just go ahead and, and we'll skip that part and give Frank some extra time to go ahead and um, give some more details. Okay. Top three. Well, <clears throat> so what's your 
for people who are still a little hesitant and prefer referral over sublet, how should they start rethinking their approach? Let's you have to you have to start with your core values and your vision for your company. And so if you don't have your core values written down, if you don't have your vision written down, if your team doesn't understand what it is, then you're not going to be able to deliver it. So once you get that done, and then you decide what level of service do I want to provide? Am I going to lose my mind every time, you know, some chain puts out a $99 brake pad, parts included, lifetime warranty? Or am I going to focus on putting a sign up that says we fix $99 brake jobs, <clears throat> right? So you, you have to um, start right at the very beginning. What is my company? What do I represent? What is it that I'm trying to do in my community? And, and you know, for us, it's to deliver the best possible service experience. Um, you know, we've trained our team on how to deliver exceptional customer experience. And it had a side effect I never expected they now know how to recognize terrible customer service when they're experiencing restaurants or stores or whatever. So, and, and, which is a great training tool and helps us, you know, continue to grow. So um, decide what level of service you want to get. Do you want to be that average shop that has average cars with average customers? Do you want to be that exceptional shop that people are, when, when somebody calls up and says, can I bring my car in? And, and they're told, if you bring it in today, we'll try to answer for you next week. And they go, okay, what time do you want it? Right? Because you, because we created a reputation that says it's worth waiting a week for. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be that shop? Or do you want to be the shop that says, I don't care what you guys do in the back. I want that car back to the customer at five o'clock. Right. Can't have both. Right. So you just, and then price yourself accordingly. Do not be afraid to charge what you're worth. Um, our industry has been, uh, undercharging for probably the last hundred years. We've been underpaying our staff and undercharging our customers for what we do. If you think about it for a moment, <clears throat> dangerous environment, right? Moving parts, hot fluids, cars could, you know, fall off a lift. Somebody could drive into you. The dangerous environment that an automotive technician works in to fix someone else's car. That's worth a premium pay to me. Yep. So, you know, price yourselves accordingly. Quit pricing yourself based on a competition because they're lying to you anyway when you call them and ask them how much they're charging. Um, was that two? Yep. So before you go on to the next one, so what you're really saying is decide what your core value is. Decide what you go ahead and need to charge for to go ahead and be profitable at the end of the day. Have a good net profit at the end of the day and then learn how to adjust the customer's perception to understand the value that you're sending. So you're not just, you know, saying, I'm gonna do this and that's how it is. You're, everything you do is demonstrating that value to the customer. Absolutely. And that means standing behind everything you do. And, that, and, and I've been accused by many, many team members of being too generous with customers when things don't go as planned. And, 99.9% .9 of the time, we're right. And that doesn't matter because the customer doesn't think we're right. The customer thinks they're right. Right. And I, I would much rather err on the side of generosity to the customer 
than to go, I don't care what he thinks, I'm right, and I'm not giving him the money because then that's your mentality is wrong. It's thinking, thinking, right? I want to give exceptional customer service. Zappos is the perfect example. We still got time, right? Yep. Yes. So the return policy is you don't like the shoes, send them back, right? And there was a lady who would order a pair of shoes on Friday, wear them over the weekend, say I didn't like them, and send them back on Monday. And they knew this. And they kept letting her do it because they thought the reputation of being able to return shoes was more important than one customer trying to rip them off. And, and look at the enormous company they built. That was a core value. Right. Right. So that's why that's so important to have that. Um, and if you don't know how to do all that, hire a coach. It, so it really doesn't matter what you think is the shop owner. It's the customer's perception is what the reality you're really working with. That's all right. that matters. That's all that matters. Right. So we're up against the end here. Uh, Frank, I'd really like to thank you for joining us here again. Uh, as usual, lots of great information has been shared. I'd like to encourage those of you that are listening either now or later on to uh, refer others in your area to the autovitals.com forward slash radio and either join us live or maybe go ahead and pick up some of the tips from the last 175 episodes that they can use to go ahead and help themselves in, in their industry. So once again, I'd like to thank everybody for listening in. Go out there and, and make some money while your customer is in the process. So, um, Luby, you have anything you'd like to end be, add before we end? As usual, Frank. thank you, Frank. We're honored to have you on. It's amazing. Absolutely. Honor is mine. Thank you guys very much. Um, and, and, you know, it's easy to do a good job. So go ahead and do it. <laughs> Just get it done. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.